I like to eat. I like pasta. When I was in grade school, my parents allowed us to get a hot lunch at school once a week. My favorite meal was spaghetti. I couldn't say it right uh, when I was in grade school, and I still can't spell it to this day. As an adult, I have graduated to white sauces. Um, I'm always up for a good Alfredo, or even better yet, carbonara. However, I was never a fast eater, and so I would often miss out on seconds. It would be gone before I would be done with my first helping. So, <coughs> so I may have left the cafeteria hungry, but I don't think I was ever starved. However, there are parts of the world where people do starve to death. There are parts of the world where it really is hard to grow food. Right before the first reading, God sends a drought to Israel. Elijah the prophet hangs out by the river Cherith, but it eventually dries up. It is at this point that our first reading joins the story. Elijah goes to Zarephath. He meets a widow there picking up sticks. Elijah asks for water, and then as she is leaving, he asks for a piece of bread. It is then that the widow explains her dire situation. She tells Elijah that she only has enough flour and oil to make one meal of bread for her and her son. After that, she and her son will starve to death. Elijah then says one of God's favorite phrases, Do not be afraid. Elijah then instructs her to do as she planned, but bake him a piece of bread first. After that, she can make some bread for herself and her son. Now how is this going to be possible? There was not supposed to be enough flour and oil for two cakes let alone one. This is possible because God promises through Elijah that the woman's jar of flour will not go empty, nor will her jug of oil go empty until God ends the drought. I don't know why I find this so amazing, but she believes Elijah and does what he suggests. And she is. She, her son, and even Elijah eat for a whole year. God miraculously refills the jar of flour and the jug of oil for a whole year until the drought ends. What trust? The widow gives all that she has to God, to Elijah, and she is rewarded with the means to feed herself and her son and Elijah for a whole year. Because she trusted in God, she did not starve to death. In the gospel, Jesus goes people watching, uh, people watching is fun. If you haven't ever done it, I suggest doing it. Uh, so maybe you do. Maybe you have. Maybe you've sat down in a busy public place and watched humanity interact with each other and with uh, the things around them. Now this may sound a little creepy, but humanity is interesting. So Jesus go, goes watching, uh, people watching in front of the treasury. Mark records uh, that many rich people put large sums of money into the treasury. Then a widow comes along and drops two small coins in the treasury. A modern translation says the coins were worth a few cents. Of course, Jesus praises her contribution. Jesus says she has put more into the treasury than all of the other contributors. 
which is objectively not true. Uh, you know, the other people put in much larger sums of money. But Jesus goes on to explain, For they have all contributed from the surplus wealth, but she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. This widow from the gospel is just like the widow in the first reading. They willingly give up all that they have. Both of them have a radical trust that God will give them what they need to survive, even though they gave away everything they have. We are too are called to give radically, even when it hurts, and I would argue especially when it hurts. I know I've mentioned this before, but I had a chaplain in college who said we should give to the point that it makes a difference in our lives. Now in this, some ways this was in contrast to the Baptist campus organization that I was hanging out with at the time in college. They taught that one should tithe at least 10%, usually exactly 10% of your pre-tax income based on uh, what they read in the Bible or how they read the Bible and interpreted it. But I like what my chaplain said better. I believe there could be a situation where you need to tithe less than 10%. Maybe you're a young couple who just had twins and money's a little tight. But even if you can't give 10%, give something. Always give something. Now even if you are a poor college student, which I was uh, that way twice uh, when I was at Iowa State, uh, in my undergrad for computer engineering and also later in seminary. Uh, and so what I, I know what it's like to be a poor college student. But I would say give something. Start that habit of tithing. Give that habit of giving, of sacrificing. But at the same time, there could be people like my friends uh, that I lived with after college. They were both newly married and both working at IBM as engineers. So the combined salary in 1999, right out of college, was over six figures, over $100,000. In some ways, they were frugal and bought a house for, I think, about $140,000. Um, I think they say that you can usually afford about three times your annual salary. So um, they obviously uh, bought a house smaller than they could afford. And because of this, my friend said at that point in his life, he was saving over $6,000 a month. And so someone in his situation could probably do more than 10%. Or well, I suppose we could bring up Elon Musk, who, um, because of his uh, Tesla stock, is now worth over $300 billion. Um, he could probably give away more than 10% and have it not affect his life. If our tithing doesn't at least slightly affect our lifestyle, then we need to give more. We need to sacrifice more. Maybe it means getting one less coffee. How do we radically give like the widows of the first reading in the gospel? Now the churches uh, in the world um, live in a place, the churches exist in places that they need to purchase things and have things in order to do ministry. We know from other gospel passages that Jesus himself accepted contributions from people so he and his apostles could eat and continue to travel and spread the gospel. However, even more than churches needing material goods in order to do ministry, we need to learn to sacrifice and love enough to part with the material goods that God has given us.
Sometimes we need to be reminded that all we have is a gift, a gift from God. Yes, we may have worked hard, but who gave us the mind and body to do the hard work? Yes, tithing is good for the church and other nonprofit organizations in order for them to function in the world. But tithing is even better for us and our souls, for growing in holiness, for trusting in God and not ourselves or our money. We need to be like the widows in today's readings. We need to be willing to radically give and trust in God. This ultimately comes down to love. Those of you who are married or have a significant other, think about the crazy things you did at the beginning of your relationship. Did you stay up past a reasonable time just to chat? Did you drive for hours just to see each other for a couple of minutes? Did you buy, expensive, did you buy an expensive flower that, only, that dies just a few days later? When we love radically, we trust radically. When we trust radically, we give radically. Real giving comes from a heart of gratitude, from a realization that, is, that it is all gift. We don't even have to exist, but God has given us the gift of existence, the gift of life. A gift that is given begrudgingly or for display loses most of its value. However, a gift given out of love with the spirit of generosity and sacrifice is invaluable. The amount or size of the gift doesn't matter as much as the cost to the giver. The widow in the first reading doesn't have to make some bread for Elijah first. She could have hedged her bet and made three small cakes. The widow in the gospel could have given just one coin, but both gave away all that they had. Maybe when you look at your time, talent, and treasure, you feel that what you have to offer is small and not worth much. I can promise you, if you put your time, talent, and treasure at God's disposal, no matter how small it may seem, God will do with them amazing things, things you can't even imagine. Christ shed his blood for us on the cross. His sacrifice takes away our sins. Jesus radically gave all that he is for our salvation. Jesus radically gave his very life because he loves us and knows that we are worth the ultimate sacrifice. So again, may we love radically. May we trust radically. May we give radically.